Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. I want to thank all of my listeners who have supported me over the last almost 10 years and 580 plus podcasts with authors, speaking with them about their words of wisdom, an opportunity to get some insight and knowledge about areas that they've researched. And today, joining me from Los Angeles is Dr. Edwin A. Locke. And Dr. Locke was referred to me by a colleague who actually has been studying his goal-setting practices. We're going to be interviewing Edwin about uh, a book, and I would call this a compilation of actually research that's been done around goal-setting, which is probably what makes it so fascinating. It's not all of uh, Dr. Locke's work himself. It's, it's a series of people. But it's a wonderful book, and Gary Latham is the co-author of this book. Latham, sorry, okay. And the book is called New Developments in Goal Setting and Task Performance. Good day to you, Dr. Locke. How are you? Well, good day to you. Thank you for having me. Well, I appreciate having you on. You are definitely, I say to my friends, based on what I've done research, you're the de facto man when it comes to understanding goal-setting theory. Uh, so I'm going to let my listeners know a tad bit about you, if you don't mind, uh, Dr. Locke. He's a dean, professor emeritus of leadership and motivation at the R.H. Smith School of Business, the University of Maryland, College Park. He received his bachelor's from Harvard in the 60s, Ph.D. in industrial psychology from Cornell in 64. He's published more than 300 chapters, novels, and articles, and published journals on such works as Work Motivation, Job Satisfaction, Incentives, and the Philosophy of Science. He's also the author of 12 books, including The Selfish Path to Romance, How to Love with Passion and Reason, Study Methods and Study Motivation, Goal Setting, a Motivational Technique that Works, and many, many more, including this one. He's been elected as a fellow of the Association of Psychological Science, the American Psychological Society, and the Academy of Management, and has been consulting editor for journals, uh, journal articles. He's also a winner of the Outstanding Teacher Scholar Award at the University of Maryland, uh, the Distinguished Scientific Contribution Award, the Society of Industrial and Organizational Society. Um, he also is a writer and lecturer for the Anne Rand Institute and is Ayn interested Rand. in the application. Yep, Anne Rand Ayn, and Ayn Rand. the philosophy. Anne Rand, okay. You'll have to correct me on that one. Objectivism, which uh, if you have not been to that website, uh, I actually went there. And for those of you who don't know much about it, we'll ask Dr. Luck a few questions about that as well. Well, Dr. Locke, you developed the theory of goal setting, and I'd like to start with some pretty basics here because a lot of the uh, research work in this book is pretty deep and pretty heavy, and maybe some of it even, I wouldn't say over the head of my listeners, but certainly a lot of research work, but it is that that really gives us this theory. Can you explain what it is and what advice you'd have for the listeners out there who say, hey... Dr. Locke, you know, I set goals and I never reach them. Well, the first thing to realize is uh, 
the process of life itself is a goal-directed activity. Uh, even plants uh, act in a goal-directed way based on evolution to uh, survive uh, by getting roots uh, growing into the soil, getting chemicals to uh, reinforce themselves in food and sunlight. Uh, animals direct goal-directed activity by um, the pleasure pain mechanism, learning the outcomes of their actions. Uh, they have desires. They can learn up to a point. But the unique part about human goal-directed action is that it's volitional. We have to make choices as to what goals we're going to pursue. Uh, we're not pre-programmed by our genes. Uh, and so we... The choices we make, or the, and the failure to make choices, uh, affect our lives very profoundly. So what we found in our research is that if you want to uh, achieve goals that will enhance your life, the goals need to be clear and specific. If you want to achieve a lot, the goals need to be challenging or difficult, at least for uh, many parts of your life, not necessarily every part of your life. Uh, the goals need to be consistent with your needs. Uh, for goals to work, you need to track your progress, uh, preferably in uh, writing or in numbers. You need to be committed to the goal because it ties to your other values and because you've acquired enough skill to be confident. So those are the key issues in goal setting, which can be applied to uh, every part of your life. Yes. And I would say that, you know, everybody talks about the, the simple goals or the goals, they have an acronym around them. And, and, you know, you say there is um, obviously an economic value in goal setting. And I'm not certain well, everybody actually sees it that way. What have the researchers that you've worked with discovered about the value of goal setting? Well, all goals are in fact tied to values and they don't have to be always tied to monetary returns, although that's very important in your work and career, but you can have goals for romance. Uh, and we wrote a, uh, with Alan Kenner, I wrote a book about that. You can have goals for um, children, you can have a goal for uh, the kind of career you want to have. Um, you can have goals for your leisure time activities. You can have goals for your diet. To be healthy, you can have goals for exercise. You can have goals for education. So again, this is a volitional process. So you have to choose goals, and you have to think of both short-term and long-term consequences. So every part of your life is open to goal-directed choices. So what would you say about a goal that somebody sets? And you obviously, the second part of this is task performance. Um, there's always subsets to goals, Dr. Locke, and that is hey, I've got to do A, B, C, and D before I can obtain that. 
Um, what is the connection for people and why do they fall off the wagon when there's so many smaller tasks to do prior to attaining the goal? Well, of course, the research shows that if you want to achieve the longer-term goals in any area, whether it be saving for retirement or job success or the like, uh, or health, uh, healthy activities, short-term goals, which we call proximal goals because they're near you, uh, are the means to help attain the longer-term goals. The longer-term goals might be weekly, monthly, annually, or decades long, such as saving for retirement. So uh, short-term goals are your means of getting to long-term goals. It's hard to achieve long-term goals without the short-term goals because the future, of course, at any given point isn't real. Future is a potential. So to make it real, you've got to bring it as close as you can to the present through these proximal goals. Mm-hmm. So the shorter term goals are, yeah, yes. obviously, yes. give you an opportunity to be able to see out into the future and to actually get that almost internal win that you get psychologically from making the steps toward that goal. Um, it, it, it gives they, you steps and it gives you confidence, too. If you can achieve the shorter goals, it gives you confidence in achieving the longer-term goals. Mm-hmm. Now, one of your researchers had a chapter in the book uh, about dedicated to the importance of feedback in goal setting and performance. Yes. Can you can you explain the benefits of feedback on goal setting? What if, what does that mean well, to our listeners? Feedback is for tracking progress. So let's say you want to save for uh, retirement, and all the studies show if you want to do that, you should start saving early. The earlier, the better. Um, so let's say you want to save. $100 a month. I'm just making this up. I'm not saying that's the right amount. Well, you want to you want to look at your bank statement for feedback to make sure you're doing it and to, you know, see if you're getting a decent return on your investment. Or if you want to uh, have a weight loss goal, uh, let's say you have a proximal weight loss goal, say weekly, uh, you want to keep a chart to indicate what your weight is uh, each day or each week to see how you're doing in relation to what your long-term goal is. So it's, it's really information for tracking. Right. So it's the it's anybody who has a goal for money, has a goal for health, has a goal for almost anything, some way to get into a feedback loop so that you know how much progress you've made Sounds exactly. simple, but the reality is is that I think a lot of people set goals and don't put the feedback loop in there. Um, so it, it they don't know where they are, or um, sometimes they're just afraid to look at it. What psychological elements um, with relation to that fear element comes into play? You obviously have done more research than anybody on this, but you know I, I find sometimes people don't want to look at reality. Um, well, that's why those that, goals are too. That's true in a much bigger sense than you think. Uh, many people, uh, whether all the way from your own household to uh, political leaders, don't want to look at reality. 
So this is, uh, again, a volitional process. You have to choose to do it. If you don't want to look at reality, then in a certain fundamental sense, then you don't really want to live. If you don't want the means, then you don't really want the goal either. So you can't say, oh, that sounds like a nice goal, but I don't want to do anything to achieve it. Well, it means you don't really want the goal. So you really have to decide that the goal is something that's important to you personally and that you really mean it and are then willing to take specific actions to achieve it. Uh, If you don't take any actions, it means you don't really want it. Right. Right. And that, you know, that comes to this point around commitment and motivation as it relates to successful attainment and goals. What are, if there are, if there are secrets, I don't really believe there are secrets. I just believe you can enlighten my listeners of what they might want to know about motivators and commitment. And actually, I would probably put this at its highest level, um, awareness of what they're doing to themselves. Well, awareness and the fact that all life is motivated by values, for better or for worse. All of all of human life is motivated by values that you choose. I mean, you have physical needs, of course, you have to act on, but otherwise, it's motivated by values, and many people don't want to be valuers. They, they want word sounds that sound good, but they don't deep down want to be value pursuers and as a result they don't get any so you have to take the issue of valuing which is one of the reasons i like ayn rand's philosophy uh, because her whole philosophy was based on valuing your life and taking actions to make your life better Uh, if you're not a valuer then you drift you drift Uh On random sensations, you drift on peer pressure, you drift on the latest fads, you drift on environmental things that excite you, but it's not purposeful, just reactive. So to be a valuer, you have to be purposeful about what you do. If you just drift with the range of the moment stimuli, then your life is just chaotic. You're, you're neither here nor there. You're going in different directions every day. It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't add up to anything. So uh, purposely valuing in a serious way every day is the core requirement for living successfully and happily. So not to get off the track, but you mentioned it. Um, I did spend some time at the RAN Institute website and I watched some videos and I would assume a lot of my listeners don't know much about it. Uh, they've maybe heard about her, the books. Um, explain if you would, because you've written this other book uh, around the selfish path to romance, um, what objectivism is in particular and okay. you know how does that play a role in goal setting. We can link well, that. Objectivism is a philosophy of novelist philosopher Ayn Rand. To put it in a nutshell, uh, the, the basic principles of objectivism are, first of all, reality is real. 
So it's not an issue of imagination or wish, but it's real is real. It's out there, and if uh, you don't want to face it, you're going to be in serious trouble. Uh, it says that man has the capacity for free will, which is basically using your cognitive, rational capacity or not using it. Your only means of knowledge is reason, uh, integrating the material provided by the senses. It rejects faith as a form of knowledge completely. Uh, in ethics, uh, they believe the highest moral purpose is to achieve your own happiness. And to achieve happiness, you have to have virtues. The virtues for happiness on earth would include reason, independent thinking, honesty, integrity, justice, productiveness, pride, and the like. So virtue is an end in itself, and it's not a means of going to heaven. It's a means of success and happiness on earth. In politics, it advocates individual rights, which is the government's role is to protect your rights and to protect you from other people using force against you. And uh, the application of this to economics is laissez-faire capitalism. She also has a completely original theory of art, which I won't go into now. So uh, she has um, radical um, discoveries in every field of philosophy. So um, it's a pro-life on this earth philosophy. Well, it, it I, I would encourage my listeners to go to the RAN Institute because there are certainly some great videos and actually there's a lot of groups that meet um, around this and there's a lot available out there and more than it just being interesting it's totally applicable to your life um, that's what it's and, for. and I think it yeah um, so and, I, and I would is, say if, go ahead. the website is einran.com by the way yeah, yeah, and it's Ayn very Rand, well Ayn done. Einrand.com is the website. Yeah. So there's tons so, of educational materials on there. There is. I mean, there's a plethora of things people can dig into. You can get lost in that website pretty easy. Um, Dr. Locke, what role does uh, effect and self-regulation play in the process of the goal setting and attainment? Uh, there is a whole article in the book, or I should say article, research paper um, on this, and I found it fascinating. You're talking about emotion? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Ayn Rand um, made critical discoveries about emotion. Uh, the issue of what's called a mind-body conflict, which is usually reason-emotion conflict, goes back actually to the ancient Greeks, specifically uh, Plato. And Ayn Rand, and um, even today, uh, psychologists view emotions as quasi-mysterious um, that are not analyzable, not really understandable. And her breakthrough was to show that emotions are actually caused by subconscious ideas and subconscious appraisals. So they're not mysterious, they're not inexplicable, they're not just there, they have causes. 
and you can understand the causes of, unless it's, of course, you could have a brain problem, you know, which needs medical attention, but uh, that aside, uh, every emotion you have can be understood if you introspect and identify the ideas behind it. For example, if you're angry, there's always some kind of appraisal subconsciously of injustice uh, behind it. If you feel guilt, there's always a subconscious appraisal that you violated uh, one of your own moral uh, tenets. If you're in love, it means there's a certain appraisal of value in the activity or the other person, which you can then further introspect. So all emotions are caused and all emotions are understandable. So they're not mysterious. And of course, the uh, Ayn Rand said the happiness is the successful state of life. So it's a proper goal for all people to achieve, but it's not easy and it's not a matter of just acting on your feelings. You want to be happy, you've got to think. You've got to choose your values and how to achieve them, look for conflicts, understand your emotions. Uh, hedonism will not bring happiness. Mm. Well, everything that you're basically saying is that uh, this path, whatever people believe, you know, whether you believe in reincarnation or not, but however long you're here on this planet Earth, there's work. And all of this is the, the process of work and how you choose to do that. Now, you speak about what's referred to as determinants of personal goals. What do our, my listeners need to understand about determinants of setting goals? Well, um, your, your goals are based on your values. So think of the values as the more general. So, for example, let's say you value education. And, of course, you can value education as a means to uh, an end in terms of your career, but let's start with just the value of education. So if you valued education, not just as a word sound, but as a real value, you'd have to set goals for getting it. So let's say you're in high school. Uh, for most people, it pays to go to college. For most people, there's, a, there's some exceptions, but for the most part, it pays. So you would need to set goals for getting good enough grades to get into college. Then you'd have to have a goal of applying to college. Then you'd have to have a goal uh, if you wanted to go into a profession or be look good for the hiring process of getting decent grades. So you'd have to choose courses and have goals to do your homework <laughs> so you do well in the courses and then get a decent grade point average, and then if you want to go to an uh, advanced degree, uh, a goal of doing well enough to get admitted, then you have to have a goal of uh, finding a graduate school or a professional school and applying and doing well at that. So it's a series of specific goals <clears throat> that would achieve the goal of being educated. And then, of course, that in turn would be a goal for... Uh, career and finding good jobs. Yeah. Well, obviously, all those subset goals are important to attaining the ultimate goal. As you, I, I, as you said, you have a strong value in higher education. 
So obviously there's going to be internal motivator and driver that's going to push that. Now, Albert Bandura, I hope I'm saying his name right from Stanford, yes. uh, wrote, wrote a research paper uh, about self-efficacy in yes. goal-based motivation. How important is self-efficacy, in other words, one's belief in their ability to attain a goal and the level of satisfaction for mm -hmm. attainment of the goal? Well, Bandura is, I think, um, perhaps the greatest greatest psychologist, uh, today better better than the famous uh, psychologists of the past, way better than Skinner or Freud. Um, and his idea is that you can direct the course of your life and a very important quality is self-efficacy, which means a domain-specific confidence. So it's not the same as general self-esteem. It's more task-specific, like you can have self-efficacy for a particular course. You can have self-efficacy for jogging. You can have self-efficacy for tennis. You can have self-efficacy for woodwork, uh, you know, self-efficacy for mechanical repair. So you develop skill, first of all, through practice and training and maybe coaching uh, to build up your skill level. Also, you can develop self-efficacy by observing role models, uh, people who do well in something, and you, such as, let's say, sales, and then you watch how they do it, and you learn from them. Uh, you can also get self-efficacy if people you respect show confidence in you and tell you why they think you can do something well. But most, really the most important is developing skills through effort. And that affects everything you do, including what goals you choose and whether you're willing to persist with your goals in the face of setbacks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a fascinating uh, research paper that is part of your new developments and goal setting that was in there. Now, one of the things that uh, is spoken about as well is, and I don't remember which of your researchers wrote this, but most frequently, people establish more than one goal. So we call it multiple goal pursuit is what it's referred yeah. to, which yeah. requires multiple tasks to be performed to reach each goal. Can you yeah. comment on my listeners out there as to how many goals are too many and what would be an optimal number to try and manage? Mm -hmm. I, I think you actually can have too many goals and it gets really confusing and it gets quite challenging because then you're not making progress toward any of them. Well, there's no particular number that you can say because there's so much depends on context. Uh, on the negative side, uh, I've known a few people who have way too many goals. Uh, a friend of mine is an academic um, that I know in a prestigious field, and he's so immersed in that that he's neglecting his spouse, he's neglecting his child, he's even neglecting his students because of all his professional work. Uh, he's undertaking way too much 
it's stressing him out, and you know he could end up having a, a breakdown if he doesn't stop. On the other side of the coin, there are people who are purposeless, <clears throat> who have no goals except day-to-day impulses. They don't have any long-range plans at all. So <clears throat> in between that, there's no specific number, but most people have goals for different parts of their life. You've got to have some economic goals. You've got to make a living. Um, you may have educational goals to help with those. Most people have romantic goals, so you have to learn to make yourself worthy of being loved, as discussed in uh, my book with Ellen Kenner, uh, The Selfish Path to Romance. You have to work on developing a relationship and maintaining a relationship. If you want kids, you have to have a goal of understanding what children's needs are and how you can be the best kind of parent you can be. Um, If you want to do exercise, you've got to have goals for the best way for you to do that. Um, There's hundreds of choices. Uh, If you want to have um, healthy food, you've got to have goals for um, the kinds of meals you're going to eat, um, how you uh, divide up all the different kinds of foods that are best for you personally. So I think everyone who's purposeful in life is going to have multiple goals. Um, so you have to figure out at, at some point whether the, whether you're being stressed out too much. Yeah, uh, it's a, it's a matter of matter of balance. Well, uh, between... and also it's people are too much influenced by the goals of other people. Uh, <clears throat> all status seeking is trying to meet the goals of other people. And this is extremely unhealthy and stressful because no matter what you do, there's always somebody that has more. There's yeah. always somebody yeah, that can do true. it better. If you spend your life desperately status seeking, you'll never be at peace. Other people will ruin, will run your life. So you have to make sure the choices, this is the virtue of independence. You've got to make sure the goals are yours. Don't let other people set your goals, including your parents. Got to be goals that are good for you and chosen by you, and together with your spouse, if you if you have a partner or your partner. Well, and I think importantly is that uh, you know to to create some balance in your life there. But you are, as you said, unless you're in inertia, um, you're always going to be driving towards something. There's some yes. something. And you won't always ever get it all done. That's what I tell people. Um, Maybe not. Because the reality, you know, yeah. there's all well, yeah. there's always more. What I mean by that yeah. is there's there's always more. Because when you finish one, there's going to be the next one, and when you finish that sure. one, there's going to be another one, and so on. So that's yeah. just the part of it. And let's talk about this power of the subconscious and conscious, and how it motivates as it relates to the achievement of goals. I mean, there was a. a uh, research paper in the new developments in goal setting and task performance, which spoke about this. And I know you've done lots of research on this subconscious and conscious uh, as it motivates these goals. Speak with my listeners about that, because a lot of times there's oh. something going on very deep underneath that right. we don't know that's actually thwarting goals. Yeah. Uh, well, we're we're not able to attain them. Go yeah. ahead. Well. 
first of all, you have to understand the subconscious. Subconscious is basically storage. It's elements of knowledge and values that are stored, some of which might have been stored early on um, before you were even a thinking person, um, before you have development of your free will, and you can store things that are harmful to you, and it takes a while to dredge them up. But but think of think of the subconscious as storage, and the storage gets there through your conscious experience and conscious thought process. So the value of your subconscious is it can hold a trillion bits of information, which you need. You don't need every one every day, but without your subconscious, you couldn't learn anything and couldn't retain anything. So it's a, it's critical for your survival. But the sub, subconscious is fundamentally passive. But the active part of your mind is your conscious mind, your thinking process, your rational process. And it's through your conscious mind that things get put into storage, things you learn to get put into storage, such as how to talk, how to write. And you pull out the stuff you need if you put in messy, confused, contradictory ideas. Of course, that's what will get stored. If you put in clear Fully formulated ideas, uh, that's what will get stored. So, you know, so you can think of it as like an Amazon warehouse. Uh, on an everyday basis, you put in your conscious order online for, say, this object, and it's delivered to you the next day. Well, your subconscious does the same thing. Uh, you put in an order that you need to think about savings and your subconscious feeds you relevant information. So uh, it's it's very important that you view your conscious mind as the active part, and your subconscious is, of course, always working because you're, you're having emotions. Your emotions are automatic. You're always having emotions, even if you don't notice it. But uh, your conscious mind is the driver of your life. And if there's a conflict, which can happen, it means you have a subconscious idea that you filed, maybe unbeknownst to yourself, that you filed that contradicts your conscious idea. Only your conscious mind can figure that out and try to fix it. So uh, so you need both parts of your mind to survive. Uh, you could never make it with either, either one of those alone. But your subconscious isn't an enemy. Uh, don't see it as an enemy. See it as a storage depot. And if you're puzzled by something, you want to go explore. Mm-hmm. Your conscious mind wants to go explore, saying, gee, I wonder why I feel that, or I wonder why I want that. You don't never condemn yourself for what's in your subconscious. <clears throat> Think that it's just something to be looked for. And then if you find it, saying, okay, now I found it. Is this something that's good for me or not? If not, you can work. I think it's a. It. I think it's a great way to look at it. I did see anywhere in the new developments in goal setting and task performance any reference to, and I'm going to ask this one because I'm doing some research right now on this. What are the effects of the egos on goal setting? The ego. Yeah. Did you say? Well, the ego yeah. is the is the self. So your self is 
an abstraction referring to everything about you. So yourself is the total self. Now, <clears throat> your core self is basically your mind and your values because your core self is what your conscious mind does to guide your actions and, and uh, choose and pursue values. So the essence of yourself um, is basically, as I said, your mind and your basic values. And you have control because uh, according to Ayn Rand's philosophy, man is a being of self-made soul. So you have the power through free will to make yourself or change yourself. So, so the ego is basically that. It's your, it's yourself. Okay, that's interesting, because I think some people out there have a philosophical belief that the ego is bad, right? That it's making well, them yes, because, do things because, they shouldn't do, because yes, they're because, sitting on this. Go ahead. Go ahead. That's because the uh, it's sort of axiomatic uh, in the Judeo-Christian ethic that self-sacrifice is the highest moral virtue. Uh, so uh, this is called altruism, uh, otherism. So if you accept that, then your whole life will be filled with guilt. That's the process of living, because. Um, if you're if you're a pure altruist, you don't have a right to your own life. You're there only to serve the the lives of others. So if you're egoless or selfless, it means you're basically nothing. So uh, altruism doesn't mean goodwill, generosity, kindness. It means self-immolation. Mm. So objectivism totally opposes the concept of altruism in its pure original meaning. Uh, egoism for objectivism means self-respect, uh, taking responsibility for your life, choosing your own values, and working toward your own happiness. And if people you love, of course, uh, love, by the way, in romance is a very selfish emotion. Because what are you, what are you saying in love? It means that person is a tremendous value to me. So if that's true, another person is of value to you, then you want that person to be happy because it's an aspect of your own happiness. So it, it's selfish. Now, imagine pure altruistic love. Okay, Sally, um, I don't love you particularly. I don't think you're that good looking. I don't think you're intelligent. don't admire your virtues, but I feel you're lonely. So it's my duty to sacrifice myself to make you happy, so will you marry me? Well, that's a disgusting view of romance, but in part, that's fairly common. Uh, to us, mm -hmm. it destroys the whole principle of romance. So uh, if love is a selfish value, it means the other person is somebody that means something important to you. Let me take it a step further. Well, if you're selfish about romance, you love giving your partner sexual pleasure because you mm. care about them. So uh, the other side of the coin of altruism is narcissism, which could be called the me-only thing. If you're a me-only person, then you should stay single. Uh, 
And, uh, and if you're an altruist, then you're ready to be enslaved by somebody. So we reject both of those. Uh, we we believe in mutual egoism. Both care about the other, and both want the other to be happy, and both want to do things that make the other happy. But it's mutual. Right. Well, and if you look at that philosophy, however you want to look at it, it's healthy. Um, the other two extreme sides of the coin are certainly not healthy uh, mentally or emotionally. So right. I would say that that is a, that is a great uh, center point to be in. Now, let me ask you this last question, because I think um, most people don't think of goals as it relates to their creativity. But you discuss these mechanisms through which goals influence our creativity. And more yeah. than anything today in business, uh, the business leaders are looking for innovation, ingenuity, creativity, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call this. Right. And it's actually being it's being pushed. And in my estimation, and unless you're in touch with your intuition, your insights, uh, inspiration, uh, you're not ever going to get to getting to being creative. So explain, if you would, the mechanisms to which goals are influencing this okay. creativity. Well, let, let me let me tell you a little secret about uh, creativity because it's partly widely misunderstood. Um, most of the books say uh, all the creative stuff you need is inside your subconscious, so just brainstorm and, and it'll all come out. Uh, this is very, very dangerous uh, and misleading. If you look at creative achievements in history. The first thing you need for creativity is hard work. It's just hard work uh, and trying stuff. Uh, Thomas Edison in his lab tried about, I think, a thousand thousand substances to get a proper uh, substance for the electric light bulb. Yeah, wasn't he the one... Dr. Locke that said, uh, I, I don't look at things as failures. It was 10,000 ways that I had to find out no, it so, didn't work. That's yeah, a famous exactly. statement of his. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So yeah. He didn't pull that out of his subconscious because it wasn't there. So he tried uh-huh. things. He tried things. Uh, it turned out it was, um, I think, uh, some kind of a carbon-covered uh, piece of cotton or something that worked. Of course, it's been replaced by other stuff now. But if you, if you look at this historically, it's just plain hard work, and mm-hmm. that means that means putting stuff into your subconscious by just trying things. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't look outside the square. Of course you should, but you've got to do it consciously. You've got to put in effort. And you know, things some things can take years to get to fruition. Uh, you start with a small thing and you expand it and you try stuff and and uh, and of course you can cash in if your subconscious knows the past discoveries but that's often not enough uh, and you have to be careful not to get stuck in a track of like your subconscious says this has never been done before so don't think about it you can't do it that way you've got to think of everything you can but the first principle of creativity is hard work at something and then exposing yourself to lots of ideas 
based on your hard work and reading elsewhere, reading outside the square, then eventually your subconscious may help you make connections. But you can't assume that everything you need to know is in your subconscious. It's not. Not mm-hmm. there. You have to just try stuff. And, it, and, it, and if you read any great invention, discovery, uh, it's very common to have years and years of research to try to figure something out. If it comes so you're out of the basically blue, just, if it comes you're out of the blue, the it's already stuff you filed, and then a connection gets made, but that's after you've done the work. Right, right. And I think it it comes down to your inquisitiveness. Um, I think some people are extremely inquisitive and they want to keep trying yes. things and tinkering with stuff before they do it. And yes. other people don't quite have that high level of, and I don't know where that inquisitiveness comes from because I'm not going to try and even suppose where that is. But, um, yeah. you know, the reality is you're saying we're our creativity is being influenced by truly just hard work, our ability to go out and be inquisitive and try new things and keep trying and trying and trying, that then fills the subconscious mind, which ultimately can then draw upon that resource to connect the dots. So the question, I guess, is is actually in connecting those dots. It's how you can draw upon that reservoir, as you call it, to connect those dots. Would that be correct? Yes. Once you have the reservoir, yes, you got to have it first. Yep, yep. Well, Dr. Locke, it has been just fascinating spending a few minutes with you. I want to offer an opportunity, uh, because I think my listeners are just going to have loved this interview, uh, to come back again on Inside Personal Growth and speak about your other book, The Selfish Path to Romance, uh, How to Love and the Passion and the Reason. That looks like it'd be a great one. And you actually have some recorded lectures at his website. I'm going to let my listeners Mm -hmm. know. Uh, to get more information about uh, Dr. Locke, his research, uh, his books, you want to go to www.edwin.com, and there you will find uh, some recorded lectures, some opt-eds, uh, book commentary, uh, his bio, and more information on these books. But on the right-hand side, I'm just going to let him know, there's an interesting one, which I haven't listened to, called Changing Habits, Why It's Hard and How to Do It. Um, mm-hmm. That's one I'm going to actually listen to when we when we hang up here. Dr. Okay. Locke, thanks so much for being on Inside Personal Growth and spending a few minutes with my listeners uh, talking about your new book called New Developments in Goal Setting and Task Performance. I will put a link up to Amazon for that book. I will let everybody know right up front that the book is not a cheap book. Um, it's more no. of a compilation of research and it's more of but a it's textbook. Pretty, it's pretty uh, academic, though, I should warn you. Uh, yeah. The 1986 book on uh, uh, goal setting and motivational techniques at works is more written for the, uh, we may revise that soon, but that's more written for the regular reader. Definitely. Thanks for being on the show with us today. Thank you. 